Welcome to the Life After Podcast. I'm your host, Amber, a nature lover, business owner, and co-CEO of a busy household. We are going to hear the stories, talk about the strategies, and open our minds to the possibilities that are out there when we are creating a happy, fulfilling life after we have experienced trauma and adversity. I was tasked with authentically sharing part of my story. I do respond to requests like this for the podcast. So this week on the Life After Podcast, I'm going to share what my experience has been with Ehlers-Danlos type 3, the hypermobility type, how I have found ways to work with it so that I can do more of the things that I like to do, play with my kids, and have manageable pain levels at least. It's a big challenge to have something that other people can't see and have to work through that every day. So I'm going to walk you through the timeline from when I was a kid in elementary school to doctors refusing to give any credence to my symptoms, to my kids getting diagnosed, and finally seeing a geneticist that could diagnose me, doctors that didn't know how to help, doctors that did know to help, and then what I do on the daily to there's several types of Ehlers-Danlos. There's a very serious type that's vascular Ehlers-Danlos that affects all of your blood vessels. It's very serious. It's very life-threatening. Ehlers-Danlos type 3 or hypomobility type. Even in the medical community, there's a back on back and forth. Sometimes they'll say the condition exists partly because they have yet to identify the genetic component. What they do understand is that there's a cluster of symptoms people experience this, and that's generally overflexion of your joints, meaning they bend way too far in the other direction. That's generally the diagnostic criteria for it, but then some other things that go with it. You face frequent injuries, you have pain issues, you have a fatigue that can go with it. That's just a quick snapshot to just give you a picture of what this is like daily. So when I was younger, I would, I can remember several times where I'd have this injury and there was no obvious swelling, no break, but I had all this pain. I have one wrist that I want to say 20 times I've sprained it. The doctors basically said, we can't really see anything wrong. It's fine. Just keep going on with it. Especially with my knees, that was an issue. And now I completely understand why. When So when I was a kid, if I was running, I'd get this pain in the part of my knee where it connects to the lower part of your shins. Super painful. And even now, I don't run because it's pretty painful occasionally if I'm chasing a kid. And it'd be hard to walk if I even tried. And again, there's nothing wrong. We can't find anything wrong. When I was about 15, 16, a physical therapist identified some issues with my ligaments being too loose. That ties back to Ehlers-Danlos, but they attribute it to being in that puberty phase, growing too much. Physical therapy helps some, but not much. As I continued getting older, I'd have the same thing with my knees. If I tried to 
exercise in some form, even walking a lot, my knees would get super painful. The other thing that I noticed was if I was attempting to exercise, if I did too much in a day, I would be completely wiped out. The best way I can describe it is that feeling after you've had the flu where you're not completely sick anymore, but you're just drained. You're in that jello in the couch phase. Again, I talked to the doctor about this. Oh, it's stress. Oh, it's this. Oh, you have kids. They wouldn't really look into it and dive into why that was. The unfortunate thing that happened because I was brushed off so many times, especially with these repeated injuries, that for a person who has Ehlers-Danlos hypermobility, when there is an injury to a joint, it needs to be overtreated. It means that if there's an injury to a joint, it takes longer to heal appropriately. So if a person who does not have Ehlers-Danlos sprains their wrist, they might need four weeks in a brace to allow all of the structures and the ligaments and the tissues to heal properly. With Ehlers-Danlos, you need another week, maybe two weeks, maybe even a little bit longer to allow all of those tissues to heal as appropriately as possible. So not knowing that and having injuries to my wrist and several to my knee, it's just this compound where it never healed. And the other thing that I noticed is when I would have my kids, if they were nursing and all that weight, especially as they got older and heavier, my arm from the elbow to the wrist, it would get super painful. My chiropractor at the time, super casual, he's like, oh yeah, that bone's a little bit luxated, which means not fully dislocated, a little bit out of place. And that's why it was so painful. As I look back on it, hearing that from the chiropractor, it helped to get some validation. I'm not quite sure why the doctors and the medical professionals didn't bring up. It could be a condition. It could be a syndrome. There's probably a reason why this is happening because it's not the most normal thing that when you're nursing a baby that you're shifting the bones out of place in your arm. The same thing with my hands when I was pregnant because when you're pregnant, your body produces a hormone. It's called relaxants. Everything gets super loose, super stretchy. If you're super stretchy anyways, and then you have relaxant in your body, you're extra stretchy. If I was washing the dishes, if it was heavy, like a cast iron pan, the smaller bones in my hands that would shift a little bit out of place. Fortunately, at the time I had a great chiropractor, but it was extremely frustrating for me because I kept hearing from my doctors. We can't really find anything wrong. We don't see anything on the x-rays. You have kids. That's why you're tired. I knew that it was more than that. I just didn't know how to advocate for myself to get the doctors to listen to me. I was exhausted a good part of the time. I was pain a lot of times at nights. I still get this where it's an electrical feeling in your feet it's a nerve thing. The geneticist explained it to me. I'm not going to be great on the medical piece of that because I'm a patient. I'm not a doctor. What was really frustrating for me is I wanted to be able to play more with my kids and do things with them. But because of the pain and because of my energy levels, I couldn't keep up with them. If we were swimming, 
that was a lot easier on my body. And I would do that a lot with them when they were younger. The other piece that I didn't know was happening in my body was nutritional deficiency. There's a theory that when you have Ehlers-Danlos type 3, you don't absorb nutrients as well as other people. And part of that is it's a collagen deficiency disorder. So in addition to impacting your joints, collagen is in everything. It's in your blood vessels. So they're a little floppier. It's in your intestines. They're a little floppier. So because of those changes, there's a theory that there's some nutritional malabsorption that happens. Having had a few kids, not understanding that there's this nutritional deficiency piece, my bone density was at the point in my late 20s, early 30s of someone who was much older, postmenopausal. Had I understood that that was happening with my body, I could have supplemented earlier. It would have been beneficial, obviously, for my kids to get more calcium. It would have been beneficial for my joint pain. My teeth would have been less impacted because your body needs calcium for all those things. In the middle of this, I have a baby who's very ill. Cluster of things going on when they were born. A severe jaundice, bilirubins in the 30s, which is very, very high fear trouble gaining weight, failure to thrive, and more lethargic than a typical newborn would be. The doctors at the time, their theory was their bilirubin levels were very high, high enough that we suspect that all of this is happening because there was some brain damage that happened. We think cerebral palsy, something like that. I can remember a pediatrician saying to me, clear as day, even though this has been 12 years later, this is just what happens with babies like these. That's a statement you don't want to hear from a doctor. Synchronicity of the universe and everything working out in our favor. We were part of a homeschool group. And in that homeschool group, there was a mom who's an amazing speech pathologist for little people. It was very obvious that this kid was not doing well. She observed him eating And she said, this kid is burning all his calories eating, showed me some things to do, gave me some guidance for how to advocate to the pediatrician, and started on this long pathway of eventually getting a diagnosis of Ehlers-Danlos. The pediatrician that we were at, again, Nicities of the Universe, was supposed to send a referral to the Children's Hospital to do a feeding evaluation. That's where they use dies so that they can see in real time what happens when the kid is eating to see how they're eating if they're aspirating all these things. For whatever reason, the doctor sent a referral to a neurologist instead. This was a good thing because I believe he was head of the neurology department. He worked on the state level for several different boards. This was an established neurologist who had a very good reputation and could really pull a lot of weight in the hospital. And it was exactly what this kid needed. When we went to that first appointment, the neurologist said, you are not leaving this hospital until he has a swallow study to see what's going on. I remember him calling down to the people that do this in this hospital. And he's like, I don't know what you need to do to your schedule, but this kid needs a swallow study and he needs it today. And I need you to let me know when it's going to happen. 
within an hour of that kiddo was getting a swallow study and determined that he was basically aspirating, meaning in addition to using all of these calories to eat because his muscles were just looser and floppier and weaker, he was also getting a good chunk of what he was eating into his lungs. So we had to move to pumping, thickening, adding in some calories. It may or may not be common in other hospitals in the United States, at least for this hospital. If a kid's coming in and they have low muscle tone, They have this list of 30 scary conditions that they test for. Many of them are degenerative. Many of them are life-limiting, pretty scary stuff. And they would send out a test working through this list. They're trying to figure out, well, this is the list of things that it's likely to be. So working through this list, working through this list, it's not this condition. It's not this condition. Every time one of those tests were sent out, You want to know, and then you don't want to know, and you're dreading checking your voicemail because you're not sure what they're going to determine is actually going on with your kiddo. This kid had so many referrals to so many specialists. It was insane. The way this hospital did it, a lot of children's hospitals do this, but it was very strategic, and they'd stack appointments. So we might be there for a full day, but see six to eight different departments. It was a different doctor in the neurology department, I think. That could be completely wrong. It could be something different. She was examining this baby and looking at his symptoms, and she's like, I know exactly what this is. It's Ehlers-Danlos. My dad's a dermatologist. I know that because of the way that his skin is, because it almost felt like pizza dough, this is Ehlers-Danlos. That's exactly what it is. Once she brought that up, it made complete sense. It was still a diagnosis of elimination that they still were ruling everything else out And when they rolled everything else out, then when he was right around three, because kids are here anyways, he was formally diagnosed. I don't know that I recommend it, but how I managed my anxiety is if Fragile X was the next thing that they were testing for on the list, I would completely go down the rabbit hole and learn everything I could about Fragile X. When that doctor said with just a degree of confidence that I believed her and it made sense, When I started researching about Ehlers-Danlos hypermobility, it made absolute sense for this baby. It made absolute sense for some of his siblings, and it explained everything that was going on with me. For the life of me, I don't understand the resistance to diagnose people. I know there needs to be a degree of caution, and you can't just smack a label on people. However, I met all of the diagnostic criteria, and the geneticist said, this is such a rare condition. I really don't think that you have it even though it's inherited, even though I had all the symptoms. Not willing to accept that just based on my own symptoms and everything that I heard. Eventually saw a specialist at another hospital that reviewed everything. They wanted to make sure it wasn't rheumatoid arthritis because I was having fatigue and joint pain, which are also symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. I didn't have the inflammatory markers for that. I didn't meet the other diagnostic criteria for that. And they went through the different pieces for testing how far out of range your joints can bend and determined that I did have Erstanlos type 3 hypermobility. Great, I have a label. And it gave me somewhere to start. I'm really thankful for that because... It isn't well understood by the medical community. 
I went completely down the rabbit hole. I think it was spark people. I was on those message boards every day reading about different symptoms people have, how they manage joint pain, how they deal with it if their hands are really sore and they're still needing to cook, how they sleep better. I was very hopeful that having this information in hand that my doctor might be able to help and might be able to find some solutions. One of the doctors that I saw said, there's nothing that we can do. It's a genetic condition. You're not going to change it. Best I can do is put you on some Celebrex. I was 32. Knowing that this was a condition that was not going away, knowing that I was only 32, I really didn't want to start taking medications like that. I wanted to leave that out there for the future if things progressed and I had more injuries, I would have an option. I didn't want to jump to that, if that makes sense. Having this experience with this very sick kiddo where sometimes I'd really have to push and I'd really have to advocate, ask a lot of questions and learning from the experience. Sometimes a doctor's first assumption isn't always right. And sometimes you have to ask more questions and dig a little deeper. So I really pushed and I said, Pretend I'm allergic to that medication. Pretend I can't take any of it. What are my other options? The doctor was slightly annoyed, but he's like, well, your fatigue could be electrolyte imbalance. That might make some sense. Maybe focus on electrolytes. And also, you can try Tiger Bomb. That might help help the pain. So that was two things to go on. I did learn that if I overdid myself and was completely exhausted... If I drank about two Gatorades and gave myself an hour on the couch, I'd feel pretty back to normal. The other benefit to getting diagnosed was then they sent me for testing to make sure that it wasn't affecting my heart, which sometimes can happen with Ehlers-Danlos, and it wasn't. But they also sent me for bone density testing. That was really helpful to learn that I was had low bone density and needed to fix that. In taking the supplements for that, I noticed that my pain levels were a little better too. The other thing that happened is I had a really, really bad ankle sprain. What I didn't know at the time is that it was a high ankle sprain. And for most people, their ankle and their ligaments, it can't move enough that you can strain that ligament. Their ankle would just break. So the boot that they put me in, it made the injury much, much worse. And I ended up having to see a different orthopedist who gave a correct diagnosis, got me in the correct boot. This orthopedist also gave me diet things to do. Around the same time, I was also learning about anti-inflammatory diet, how that could be really helpful to reduce pain levels. It's really whole foods and not eating a lot of gluten, limiting or eliminating dairy that reduces inflammation in your body and can help. The next thing that I learned was that if I paced myself, and all pacing is, is if you do physical activity for an hour, then you do something that's not physical for an hour or whatever that looks like for you. I learned to really pay attention to my body. And that was very important to learn to tap into my body, trust what it was telling me, which was hard when you have doctors tell you for years and years and years, we don't see anything wrong. We don't see anything wrong. We don't see anything wrong. Almost like it's in your head. I had to give myself permission to listen to my body, to trust my body, learning to really know what my body felt like when I was starting to get tired so I could 
switch to a more restful activity. That made a huge amount of difference. One of the really maddening things for me is I know to help my joints, I need to exercise. But when I exercise, I get so wiped out, I'm useless the next day. What are the typical exercise programs that we know about? Walk, run, go to the gym. I didn't even know that gentle exercise was a thing. And I stumbled upon DDP yoga. It's Diamond Dallas Page. It's the process that he used to heal from a severe spinal cord injury. He starts you out where whatever's going on with you, you can't even get out of bed. That's how basic. This is pre-beginner workouts. I'm going to try not to get emotional about this piece because it was so empowering to know that there was a workout that I could do that would make my body stronger and not mess up two days worth of activities because I tried to exercise. That changed things a lot for me because I was having difficulty with stairs for a while. With all of those other pieces of diet and the electrolytes and working DDP yoga. And I took a job delivering pizzas for a while and that never, never, never would have happened if I wouldn't have learned and been ridiculously persistent, hanging on to this belief that there had to be a way. It wasn't going to be what other people did, just believing there had to be a way. I'm thankful for that. And it has given me a sense of empowerment that accepting and seeing how having this condition was a gift for me. The treatment for Ehlers-Danlos is diet, exercise, and really good self-care, which is great for you. If I wasn't in a position where I had to, I don't know that I would have done that when I was younger and before I had these injuries that made it not really a possibility. I would work like 60, 80 hour weeks and I wouldn't pay any attention to what I was eating or even my thoughts about myself. That is my super honest share for the week. I'm not going to make light of the fact that there are days that are really hard. There's days where I'm fatigued and in a lot of pain. I am in a lot better place than the doctors ever thought that I would be. My encouragement, if you have some health things going on, mental health, physical health, you don't always have to take what the doctors say at face value. The human body is so complex. No one person can know everything. See if there's holistic treatments. See if there's alternative treatment. See if there's traditional doctors that have different opinions and just keep pushing for things that won't go away, that are profound, that deeply impact like your day-to-day life and your day-to-day ability to do normal things. There's usually something small that can be done at minimum. I hope that gives you a little bit of encouragement. Um, 